Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Monday, July 6th. I'm Wayne Pratt. St. Louisans continue to push for more police accountability. There are all kinds of hostile interactions with police officers, but if they're not documented, if they don't culminate in an arrest, then it's essential like nothing happened. St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson reports on how police use of force incidents go unreported. Florissant police are reporting 17 arrests last night after demonstrators gathered to protest police violence against black people. Dozens of protesters chanted Black Lives Matter and some parked vehicles on North Lindbergh Boulevard to block traffic in front of the police station. Officers pushed the crowd back onto the road, spraying protesters with pepper spray and hitting them with batons. The police department says on Facebook that it continues to recognize peaceful demonstrations. Recreational marijuana now costs a little more in some Illinois municipalities. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports as of July 1st, cities can collect a special cannabis tax. Individual cities, counties, and villages already collect sales tax from marijuana dispensaries, and now they can collect up to 3% more on every purchase. Bethany Gomez is managing director of Brightfield Group, a cannabis market research firm. She says municipalities should be careful not to apply too many taxes on an already expensive product. Prices on cannabis are still very high in um, Illinois to begin with. So the more that you tax things, the harder it's going to be to compete with the black market right, and to win over consumers into the legal market. Gomez says a 3% tax hike probably won't drive people away from the recreational market. But she says more taxes could become an issue if cannabis continues to stay expensive. I'm Eric Schmid, St. Louis Public Radio. Research from Washington University shows young people with cancer have very different survival outcomes depending on their type of insurance. As St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports, the study analyzes the records of about 58,000 children and teens with cancer. In the study, young cancer patients on Medicaid in the U.S. had a higher risk of death and shorter overall survival compared to those with private insurance. Kim Johnson is a cancer researcher at WashU and one of the study authors. She says families on Medicaid might be facing other challenges like food insecurity or gaps in insurance. And that means the type of insurance may not be what's driving differences in survival. We can't conclude from this study that it's Medicaid insurance insurance is somehow inferior to private insurance. I think what we're really picking up might be some socioeconomic disparities. She says identifying the most vulnerable patients is the first step to developing programs to support them. I'm Shayla Farzan, St. Louis Public Radio. Another St. Louis Cardinal has tested positive for COVID-19. The team says on Twitter that a prospect follows two pitchers who had earlier tested positive. The results come as the team continues training at Bush Stadium for a planned pandemic-shortened season. Major League Baseball is expected to release the 60-game schedule today. The call for police accountability is at the center of global protests. But even as the push for systemic change swells, police brutality is still happening on the front lines. As St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson reports, 
Holding police accountable is a challenge when use of force incidents often go unreported by officers. And as a warning, this story contains language that some might find offensive. Protests broke out in the region after George Floyd was killed by a Minneapolis police officer, like this one that was captured by Real STL News. The protests were largely peaceful during the day, but nights like June 1st were particularly tense. Downtown St. Louis was thrown into chaos as protesters were tear gassed, four police officers were shot, and a 7-Eleven was looted and set on fire. Vincent Manuel and several of his black and white business partners wanted to protect their business, mascot agency, from being looted. Manuel, who goes by his stage name Accurate, was sitting outside of the business. They were all carrying registered guns and had put up barricades to prevent looting. We started hearing the tear gas grenades go off, and that was coming more so on the side of the police precinct. And then we started hearing a few shots go off. Their business on 19th Street is right behind the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department headquarters. Manuel is used to seeing lots of officers in the area. So when he saw flashlights coming his way, he didn't think much of it. And I knew at that moment it, it was somebody looking at me like from the precinct because it was a it was a multitude of police over there. So I saw that and I kept walking. I mean, I, I'm fine, you know, but once I heard, hey, what the f are you doing? He and everyone else dropped to the ground. A video taken that night by Jimmy Sewell, their business partner, has since been shared all over social media. You can see Manuel and others lying on the ground as more than 20 officers with their guns drawn are screaming expletive written commands and threats. In case you didn't catch that, the officer said somebody wants to die today. And you can hear the police repeatedly ask them about the guy with the rifle. Antoine White was carrying a registered rifle with him as he was out protesting earlier that day with his fiance and kids. White is a local artist and community organizer, widely known as T-Dubbo. He says the officers knew exactly who he was, a known Ferguson protester. And his recording studio is in the mascot agency building, right behind police headquarters. As he watches his young son, White says he was targeted. It, it was intimidation. And it, it was also a threat. It was a threat against my life because as they had us on the ground, they decided to start whispering things to me like, we didn't get you in Ferguson. If you, if you don't shut the hell up, we'll get you this time. He says it was clear that the police thought they were involved in the shooting of four officers that night. White says they found out about the shooting on social media roughly 20 minutes before the officers came their way. Even though they were all complying, it didn't matter. He says what that video doesn't show is how the officers' actions further escalated the situation. I really thought that they were going to try to kill somebody out there because they wanted to. The three men we spoke with say the police were overly aggressive. They were handcuffed tightly, slammed against walls in the street, guns confiscated. Jimmy Sewell says his tooth was chipped and an officer put a knee to his neck. All of this while guns were pointed in their faces. White and Manuel say after they were detained, a black officer eventually came over and told them they weren't suspects. They were released, but a few black officers stayed behind, talking to them as if nothing happened. Here's Manuel. 
like like literally trying to buddy buddy, you know, talk to us like we were everything was cool. But I'm like, bro, you just had a whole gun pointed in my face. I don't want to talk to you. St. Louis Public Radio reached out to the department about the incident. A spokesperson declined an interview, but said officials are aware of the video and have forwarded it to the department's internal affairs division. The spokesperson said the department does not discuss ongoing internal investigations. We did, however, submit an open records request with the department to see if there was an official police report from that night. There wasn't. And I mean, and that's one of the big issues, especially for people of color and black people. That's Daniel Harawa, an assistant professor of practice and the director of the appellate clinic at Washington University School of Law. There are all kinds of hostile interactions with police officers. Um, but if they're not documented, if they don't culminate in an arrest, then it's essentially like nothing happened. He says that makes it hard to hold law enforcement accountable because there's no way of knowing the true extent of the problem when incidents are not documented. Just two weeks after the incident, St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruzen, Police Chief John Hayden, and Public Safety Director Jimmy Edwards released a joint statement on the department's use of force policies and training. According to the statement, reporting and documenting any use of force, including deadly and non-deadly force, is required. But there is no language referring to what happens if an officer draws their weapon. And Harawa says a policy like this leaves it entirely up to police. On almost every single level, it requires an honor system is a great way to put it. It requires the police officers who <laughs> to report doing the bad things. And I, I feel like that's just fundamentally against human nature. Like people don't like to tell them themselves. Without the video of that night, White, Manuel, and Sewell know their interaction with police would have disappeared. But White says he won't let the matter go. I'm Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson, St. Louis Public Radio. You can see video of the incident at stlpublicradio.org. Our Maria Altman edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.